Welcome to Tempest in a Temenos, where two life coaches discuss esoteric issues related to life, relationships, finding purpose, and self-understanding. I'm Dr. Misty Marlowe. And I'm Suki Prelo, aka the Wild Soothsayer. And last week's episode, um, part one of episode nine, was Freaks of a Feather Flock Together. So if you missed that um, and you don't know what we're referencing, you might want to backtrack a little bit and make sure you get part one. But today we're doing part two of Super Freak to Superpower. And for part two, it is called First Freak, Then Chic. We're going to talk about finding your freaky superpower with regards to your creativity. And again, for those of you that listen consistently, you know, we start with the geeky, sciencey aspects of the topic, um, because that's where I love to geek out, because in addition to being a life coach, I'm also a college professor. I can't let go of my roots. I can't let go of what I'm true to. So I give you like a mini lecture on the science and psychology, and then we'll talk about more of the kind of practical application, maybe some resources towards the end. So a lot of the data I got today came from Very Well Mind. Um, So just keep that in mind if you want to look it up and read the full article. But something I've taught in a lot of my psychology classes, um, in general psychology, you have a whole chapter on cognitive psychology, which includes sections on language and intelligence. And there's always a little section on creativity. And I, I love to start by saying, like, you would think the psychologists had a consensus by now about exactly what it meant to be creative. And really, the truth is, over time, it's been redefined, redefined. There's been disagreements. The best consensus they have right now for the common definition of creativity is that creativity is the tendency to solve problems or create new things in novel ways. That's kind of where they've gotten so far. Um, again, the consensus of you know what this means to you know solve problems and create new things in novel ways, that there has to be a component of originality, that the ideas that you're putting forth should be something new and not merely an extension of something that already exists. And there needs to be like functionality. You can't create something that's not really useful. They that what you create actually needs to work or have some degree of usefulness. So there's that creativity, tendency to problem solve um, and create things in, in novel ways. A very famous person who did a lot of research into creativity and actually wrote a very famous book about creativity and flow is a gentleman who I'm going to just butcher his name, just absolutely butcher his name. So let's see how we do. <coughs> his name is Mihai. Chicksent Mihai. So he, (laughs) that took some pacing and I probably still messed it up, but that's as close (laughs) as I could get. So Mihai, I'm very sorry for mispronouncing your name. Please do not punish me from the grave. Um, He was born in a section of Italy that is now um, actually part of Croatia. And he was born back in 1934. And he actually um, was fluent in three languages. He was living through World War II. And during World War II, he actually spent time in an Italian prison camp where he started finding out how to play chess to kind of distract himself and keep himself occupied. Um, 
and he thought that activity of like learning to play chess actually helped him uh, make it through his time in the prison camp. And when he was 16, I'm so envious of him, he actually got to listen to a talk from Carl Jung, which is um, the guy that we talked about in several episodes of this podcast now, because he's the bomb diggity. Oh, Carl. And I talk, I talk about him like I do know him. I'm like, Carl, my man, Carl. Um, So he was influenced by um, Jung and Freud as well. And um, when he talked about the experience, he said, this is a quote from uh, Mihai, as a child in the war, I'd seen something drastically wrong with how adults, the grownups I trusted, organized their thinking. I was trying to find a better system to order my life. Jung seemed to be trying to cope with some of the more positive aspects of human experience. So kind of speaking to that about why he felt Jung was so amazing, he ended up doing a lot of his own research into books by Jung and Freud. He ended up moving to America at 22 to actively study psychology. So like talk about having a big impact when he was 16. Um, So Mihai graduated from the University of Chicago uh, with his Bachelor of Arts in 1960 and his PhD in 1965. And in 1969, he returned to the University of Chicago as a professor where he worked until 2000. So talk about somebody with an illustrious academic career. So the book that I talked about that he's super famous for um, is called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. And he said, you know, and now Flow, since like he wrote this book, everybody's talking about Flow. Like it's part of the cornerstone of positive psychology. Um, Segelman, the father of positive psychology, like in all his stuff, um, like in Flourish, his book, he's talking about like, we all need to try to live in the flow state as often as possible. We need to get in the zone. Um, so the guy who actually wrote the seminal book, Mahai, you know, p- he says that people are happy when they're in a state of flow because it's involved in a type of intrinsic motivation that like increases your ability to fully focus on the situation and the task at hand. So now this is how the expert defines flow. I know other people that have picked up his work and done further research might define it slightly differently, but Mihai said flow is being completely involved in an activity for its own sake, the ego falls away, time flies, every action, movement, and thought follows inevitably from the previous one, like playing jazz. Your whole being is involved, and you're using your skills to the utmost. Um, so further in this book, he said that you know creativity manifests differently in different situations. Um, so he says that, you know, essentially. For creativity comes from people that um, who seem stimulating, interesting, and have a variety of dun, 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 unusual thoughts. So talk about like the beginning of creativity related to y'all super freak superpowers. So unusual thoughts are one of these cornerstones of creativity, according to Mahai. People who perceive the world with a fresh perspective, have insightful ideas, make important personal discoveries. So they tend to, you know, make creative discoveries that are generally only known to them. So creativity doesn't always like manifest in the world and make you famous. Sometimes it's just applied to your personal situation. And people sometimes will make great achievements that are known to the whole world. So like famous artists, scientists, people like Edison and Picasso, um, they're creativity manifested in that way but for everybody at the root of it stimulating interesting um, and unusual thoughts 
kind of some of that bedrock for what's going on with creativity. Can you think of any times you found yourself entering a flow state with something you're doing? I mean, I, if I ever give myself the time to do it, anytime I've ever sketched, anytime, um, my thing is dancing, because I, I think I've mentioned before um, to Siki that I um, actually have been genetically tested, and I can't identify pitch, so I can't sing, but I think I was genetically compensated by um, doing a lot of dance, so I have entered flow state for dance. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Definitely when I'm enjoying books and reading, but I'm not producing anything and receiving it, but I've actually had discussions with people about whether that would be creativity to a certain extent, because I'm mentally generating pictures and images that make the book come to life for me. So I'm passively kind of receiving the story, but actively generating the mental content that represents the story. So that's for me. How about you, Suki? Um, dancing will do it for me. Um, it used to a lot more when I was younger and just a hair fitter um <laughs> writing will really do it for me especially on the first draft um when you're doing sort of the more uh strenuous copy editing it's a little less of a flow state but that first draft when everything's just uh streaming out of you uh I can really get into a flow state and uh, sometimes a little knock on the door be like are you aware you've been in here for hours and hours and it is way time way past your bedtime um you know so that's that's one of those times that it's like thank goodness you're married or you might never sleep again uh, <laughs> really does it for me um and honestly like if i'm babysitting and really into playing with little people or kids i should say um yeah i i can do that for like hours I can dine out on keep on little people kids giggling and making them laugh for like ever and I don't know about you but really like if I'm not careful coaching can really get into a flow state where I really do um lose track of time um there's something about when the interaction and you're um right on the cusp of that client breakthrough and you know it's coming and you're right on the precipice or the crest of it and you just know it's going to happen you know this is the moment um where everything else falls away for you and the client and you're both very much present in that moment um that's almost impossible to describe unless you um have experienced it that i would say is definitely a flow state for you um and the client. Um, and I, I would put that in the category um, of creativity, um, of both the novelty and the function of it, because coaching is all about thinking of things in new ways and taking on um, a new perspective. Uh, so, and that's really when I realized that coaching was definitely the right uh, uh, career change, midlife career change for me is when um, I first started to do actual practicum coaching and I was like oh wait I'm in a flow state <laughs> it's like this is the right place to be people so um, that's those are really the things that that will get me in a flow state um, but definitely playing with kids is one of my favorite because they are a tough tough audience if you can get a kid to laugh you were really doing something. 
Yeah, I, along those same lines, uh, for being a therapist and now a life coach, um, like it's so like can be frustrating with the time demand. Like you're saying, you get in the flow state and the last thing you're thinking about is time. You're seeing the evolution of someone's process. You're seeing them like get into realizations, but like for therapy, um, you got the next person waiting and you can't like disrespect the next person by being late for them. And also just from a practical standpoint, like you can say you did therapy for an hour and the insurance company's like, well, you didn't get that pre-authorized. So we're only going to pay you for 45 minutes. So you can make yourself go broke if you're in, never give yourself a chance to pee between sessions. If you just keep going over time. So I had to, for therapy sessions, when they were live and in office before I was doing all virtual, I had to put a clock on the windowsill over my client's shoulder so because I would so hyper-focus on them and be in a flow state that I would forget to look anywhere else in the room. So the only way I could cue in to when it was time for the session to almost be over is by having the clock over their shoulder so I would constantly see it in the line of my peripheral vision. Uh, and my sessions always started on the hour and ended 45 minutes past the hour. So I didn't even like see what actual time it was. It was just where like my brain got trained to see where that like second hand of the clock was. Um, and now like doing virtual sessions, I have the little like clock in the upper corner of the computer and I'm not going to act like, like, I don't miss that all the time. And I'm like, Oh, sorry. Like I got my next client to go to my bad because <laughs> like, I just get into it. So, um, I've actually, for some clients got so bad cause we were like just doing so much awesome work. I'm like, I know this is potentially one of the rudest things ever, but I really can't disrespect my next client. I'm going to set an alarm. And it's going to go off and it's going to be really jarring, but I just really can't be mean to my next person. <laughs> so uh, we got to end on time. So yes, I think you could be more right about that. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I feel you. One of the things that I've actually seen complaints about Zoom about is like, why don't you have a clock function on the screen? Mm -hmm. Because once you get to talking, you lose track of time. So Zoom, if you're listening for Pete's sakes, we need a clock. <laughs> Yes. Come on, we Zoom. Need, hook us up. Yeah. We need a clock and we need a visual alarm. So we, so we can see that our time is coming up. Mm -hmm. Now, and for non-flow meetings and like business Zoom meetings, I want that clock to sound and for it to just kick everybody out of that meeting. Because I've been in way too many like college Zoom meetings. That I'm like, first of all, this should have been an email. And second of all, like stop talking. I got someplace to go. <laughs> so I like feel like self-destruct button. This yeah, it's like oh, in five, yeah, four, four, three. <laughs> Everybody's kicked out of the Zoom meeting because this meeting is over. You said it was gonna be an hour. Bye bye. Like um, so that would actually be glorious. Like you couldn't <laughs> like you couldn't blame a person for it. It's just like Zoom said you were gonna take an hour and it just booted everybody out when time was up. Bye bye. Um, but like to to be able to control it though for it to only be for really bad like staff meetings that you're having on zoom for work but but we digress so um so back to creativity <laughs> although we're being creative right now about how zoom can update to make our lives better so um now additional research actually kind of drilled down and generated something called a 4c model for creativity that's kind of related to like these different situations where creativity can manifest so the first one is called mini c creativity 
which involves personally meaningful ideas and insights that someone only knows to them for themselves, like just contained within you. Little C creativity involves like everyday thinking and problem solving. And this is somebody using it to help them solve everyday problems they face and adapt to change. But you're seeing like many C and little C. It's very much like central to you, to your daily life, not looking at like bigger, bigger picture stuff. Um, then we get to the third one, which is called pro C creativity creativity, which is among professionals. So in your work life, um, and these are people who are skilled, but creative in their field. So these individuals are creative within their vocation or profession, but they don't necessarily become famous for it. And like Suki and I were just talking about kind of in some cases, how that applies to coaching and therapy about like creatively communicating with somebody to guide them on the path to their goals and their own problem solving. But like, I think people may have had, like, I'm trying to think of like a different vocation. Like, like I was just talking with somebody about having a, a handyman, which I think more and more people are not so handy around their house these days. And so hiring a handyman is becoming a bigger thing, at least in my part of the United States. And um, I was talking with a family member. She's like, oh yeah, my handyman Giuseppe, like if I have any problem, he'll just kind of look around and figure out what he knew, needs to do to solve it. Like in like, so talk about the very essence of handy, like no problem stunts him, but it's about like, like people's homes, just like day-to-day -day situations. And it's not like he's famous, like he's not going on Oprah to talk about his amazing, you know, handyman skills or anything. And then the fourth one are those people that get more recognition, the big C creativity. So these are people creating works and ideas that are considered great in a particular field, they, these people achieve eminence and acclaim, um, and then can lead to world changing creations. Um, so people doing, doing big stuff for innovation, technology, and artistic achievement. So those are the four C, many C, little C, pro C, and big C. And um, for the pro C and the big C, the ones related to professional achievements, we're probably going to dive deeper into that for part three of this series, where we talk about using your superpowers um, as applied to your business and professional life. So stay tuned for that for our next episode. So um, as Mahai continued to do his research and, and kind of figured out more and more about this creativity, he actually said that creative people tend to possess, to possess some traits that contribute to their ability to think innovatively. So one was energy. Um, so creative people tend to have both a lot of physical and mental energy, um, and they tend to on their own, spend a lot of time thinking quietly and reflecting. So this is something where like I talk with people who are trying to generate creativity in their life. And I'm like, well, like you're not sleeping at night, you're overwhelmed at work, you have five kids, and you never have three seconds to stop and think for yourself, because if you slow down at all, you crash because you're exhausted. Um, how do you think you're going to have like any energy to, you know, give to your creative, you know, pursuits? That's why when we think about so many writers and artists, like they almost have to do a lot of self-care to get up and running and they'll like go on a big vacation and say, oh yeah, when I was relaxing by the sea at the hotel, all of a sudden a lot of stuff started coming to me. So that energy is definitely needed to be creative. 
Now, the one that I love that has a little controversy behind it is intelligence, because at one point in psychology, they thought you were automatically creative if you were highly intelligent. And one of our famous psychologists that did a lot of research on intelligence and gifted children, he did this really big longitudinal study on kids with high IQs. What he found is, in his opinion, according to Terman, High IQ is necessary for creativity, but you're not automatically creative if you have a really high IQ. Um, so, and my high kind of came along with that. He said, creative people have to be smart, but even they, these smart people to be creative have to be capable of looking at things in fresh, naive, new, innovative ways. So there are some people that are super smart, but super cognitively rigid. Like they want to approach problems always in the same way. Um, so, and it just so happens like if they're really smart, their problem solving strategies are effective, but you'll see it kind of be like, well, are they always going to be effective or are times and situations going to change and it's not going to be so effective anymore. So I actually talk about in psychology um, in the chapter, on intelligence, we talk about limitations that are common for people and effective problem solving. Uh, and one is called functional fixedness, where people that have cognitive rigidity will tend to look at a problem and the tools for solving that problem as only being able to be used according to their original function. I said, just imagine you have a screw that you need to screw into your dresser, you know, the handles coming off of your dresser. And you're like, I have no flathead screwdrivers. Um, so somebody who's cognitively rigid would be like, this cannot be fixed. I do not have a flathead screwdriver. But what do most creative people do? They're like, do I have a quarter? Do I have a butter knife? Do I have anything that has a flat edge? <laughs> like you take it, things away from their original function, see if it can be applied in different ways. Um, so that's the functional fixedness. The other one is a mental set which is um, only thinking about problems being solved in exactly the same way they've always um, been solved. Now with my PhD in industrial organizational psychology, where I saw a lot of research studies come up is how businesses will go out of business because they can only solve the problem of profitability in a single way and they never update and they never innovate and they never become creative. And my favorite example of that was a check company. And it's like, wow, I personally haven't used a check in at least 10 years, like, or like the, the closest I come to using a check is to have my bank send somebody a check, but I have not possessed a checkbook in that I've written checks out of in like 10 years. And so there's a company that was like trying to stay profitable. And there were conversations about like, you're going to think about like creatively expanding and doing a new line of business. Nope, we're a check company. Well, you're going to go out of business. Like if that's the only way you solve your problem or profitability, because that's your mental set, then start having a legacy plan where you wrap up, lay people off and close your business down. Cause I'm sorry, checks are a thing in the past. You got to move with the times. Um, so, so far for our, you know, key traits for problem solving, we have energy, we have intelligence. Um, you that okay. you just, as far as intelligence goes, you just have to be smart enough to know what you don't know as yeah. far as creativity goes. Well, yeah, to a certain extent, that's right. I've had like really cool discussions with students because I am actually very evil in my lifespan development class. And I actually make them do a discussion post on this about like, hey, like 
like, tell me about your perception of intelligence and creativity. I actually make him read part of an article about Mahai's book. And what we get back and forth about is to say, okay, like part of intelligence is your ability to retain and profit from information that you've encountered in the past. Like when you think about really smart people, they can learn something very quickly. Like when I do work with children who are gifted, I'm like, we gotta have more stuff for them to do in the classroom because the teacher will go over a lesson one time and the kids got it. And then the teacher's repeating it for the other average or you know slightly below average IQ kids in the class. And your smart kid is like, for the love, I had it the first time you said it, I am now officially bored and irritated and will start making mischief to entertain myself. So for my very high IQ kids, I've worked with the teachers and been like, you need extra workbooks that are above grade level. You need to have like parent and teacher approved computer programs where they can go and do self-paced learning. But there's that memory aspect that I encounter information like one time and it sticks and the other component is that it doesn't just stick but when you encounter a situation where you need to creatively problem solve a highly intelligent person can go profit from the well of knowledge and their long-term memory and apply it and it will just like come to them to be like oh yeah I remembered reading this book about the potential energy of simple machines and so they don't just remember it that information presents itself in a situation where that information would be useful to effectively problem solving. So, um, so I, I talk with my students about like a lot of creativity, I think, is about having a knowledge base reservoir to draw from. And so there's got to be like curiosity and interest in you out there seeking information, but the intelligence comes in where you retain it even after like you haven't encountered the information necessarily that many times it like wasn't drilled into your head and you can access it at just the right time where it's applicable kind of stuff. Um, so like, but like, even with that being said, the third component of these traits of being creative is discipline. Like there is a certain erroneous aspect of people thinking like, I'm going to have a light bulb moment and creatively problem solve. If I just look at a problem and I'm like, oh, I don't know the answer. Let me walk away and flit about and not really think about this too much. And it's like, well, no, like we like, yes, sometimes there is inspiration, but for the vast majority of stuff, like we don't see people just sitting around waiting for inspiration to strike them out of nowhere they are playful but they're also like I see an obsessive component like but the obsessive component fits in with what we were talking about earlier with getting into that flow state it's very easy to be obsessive about things that you really enjoy and that you love doing so much you lose all sense of time as you're doing them so like why wouldn't you kind of become obsessive it's so intrinsically rewarding like it just builds on itself and builds on itself but like like you, you get down in there and you see creative people just having like so much, almost like a level of obsessiveness that's related to this discipline to keep like inspiring. And I, I like the models I hear from professional writers, like so many novelists that I've like read some of their stuff. They're like, even if I wake up one morning and I am not feeling inspired about writing, I forget which novelist it was. He said he would sit down and handwrite 
and he would say, well, my hand's going to write some words <laughs> and it's going to write until it gets creative. So he would start out writing. This sucks. I'm having to write right now, but I don't know what I want to write. And it like, it overcame his writer's block. And he would start out with like a page of just bullshit. Like just, I don't know, this is stupid. I hate it when I sit down and try to think about my story and I can't think of anything. And he said, as he just did that, eventually his brain would almost like give up and be like, okay, let's now get creative. Let's invent the story. Let's continue going. So um, writers and writer's block, I think, are really good examples of, of people that are creative by profession and have established a way to be disciplined to try to move them past any of those limitations to creativity or problem solving. Well, and I also think, um, it, you know, there, there's an element of creativity that also under, understands and recognizes the importance of skill honement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's creativity, but there's also an element of craft. So, um, you know, Leonard Cohen, uh, reportedly spent, I think, 11 years to write one song in the intervening 11 years to write Hallelujah, he was honing his craft. It takes discipline to go back to something again and again and again, um, to hone your craft so that your creativity, um, you know, uh, what do they call it? Sharpening the knife's edge. Mm-hmm. So it's great to be creative and have an idea in your mind of, I want to paint this amazing picture. That's not the same as having the discipline to master the art and craft and skill of painting. Mm-hmm. And that's why another reason why discipline is an element of creativity um, so as counterintuitive as that may seem at first, um, in addition to the discipline, when you just literally start to train your brain to start to access and piece together all of those seemingly disparate, uh, parts of experience. Sorry about that. Uh, time to check my medicine. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what was I saying? Um, uh, to train your brain to sort of shift into that state, that flow state for you. Um, you know, it's also about, you know, utilizing your creativity and what they call deliberative practice to hone the skills you need to make what's in your brain a reality. Um, and I think people that are creative, especially in those uh, pro C big C's, uh, really get it. And we will definitely get to talk about that next episode. But like, yeah, part of, again, just a, a little personal example, like I, I had to, up my empathy button for college students because I teach like undergrads. So like, in my opinion, I don't give them like any difficult papers like I do for my master's students. But like most of the papers I have my undergrads write are like seriously one, two, maybe three pages. I'm like, you're an undergrad, you're a little baby, you're just learning this stuff. And they would be like, oh my God, it was so hard. And I'm like, do you know that in my PhD program, sometimes I would write a 10 to 15 page research paper in one day, because I was also full time working two jobs while while I was doing my PhD and I had like one day off a week so sometimes all my work got done on that one day and sometimes like I had 
like 10 to 15 pages of a research paper to write. And I got to a point where I could crank that junk out and would have to be creative and application of answering it like a research question. And it was just because like that junk had to be done and I was going to get there. And, but even as I was writing the research papers, like a flow state where it'd be like, I would start at noon. And before I knew it was eight o'clock at night. And it's like, did you eat? It's like, Oh crap. I forgot to eat lunch or dinner, but the paper's done. Um, So I'm like, you know, until I come to you and expect you to write 15 pages in one day, Mm. but it was, it was that discipline and also like honing my strategy about being like, okay, I know stage one is really making sure I fully understand the, the writing prompt, think about what I already know about existing research. Um, what is the broader funnel technique I'm going to use to generate the introduction? What is my meal plan, which is main idea evaluation analysis and linking statement for all my different paragraphs and how am I going to tie this up and make a good point, making sure I got all my formatting for the page. Like it, it was just discipline and a lot of practice that got me there but I love how Mahai actually um like said you know he he wants to see for creativity both a fresh perspective along with discipline and then of course this article is like you know the famous quote for from Thomas Edison you know genius is one percent inspiration and 99% perspiration. I think we've all heard of that one before. It's like, yeah, and I, I will flat out tell some of my smarter kids, especially by the time they get to be teenagers and they're in like therapy or life coaching, I'll look at them and be like, and just so you know, good for you if you're smart, smart, unmotivated people who aren't willing to work still end up living in their mama's basement. So like get off your butt and do some work because just sitting around being smart and creative don't do you jack shit, buddy. Like you gotta learn how to have some self-discipline too. (laughs) And um, I wanted to end up this nerdy section with something I thought was very inspiring because this article um, had um, a quote from Maya Angelou related to creativity. And I think she is an exemplary example, (laughs) exemplary example, that's redundant. Uh, She is a wonderful example of someone who's creative. So her quote, creativity or talent like electricity is something I don't understand, but something I'm able to harness and use. While electricity remains a mystery, I know I can plug into it and light up a cathedral or a synagogue or an operating room and use it to help save a life. Or I can use it to electrocute someone. Like electricity, creativity makes no judgment. I can use it productively or destructively. The important thing is to use it. You can't use up creativity. The more you use it, the more you have. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's just like working a muscle. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. So, um, just uh, some various popular culture references for people who have very much started out um, in the avant-garde, if you will, um, and eventually become popular. And uh, not gonna dig too deep into them, but just some things you might wanna look up um, because they've definitely done some genre bending um, and were definitely uh, not appreciated at first, um, but eventually it's sort of become uh, considered classics. So one of my all time favorites, um, I've uh, recently told everybody I know, um, if you see it and he wrote it, it for me. Shel Silverstein, um, widely known for his poetry, which has got his sketches in it, um, where the sidewalk ends, there's a light in the attic. He wrote A Boy Named Sue. Not many people know that because I think Johnny Cash wrote it. He did not. 
Uh, <laughs> Shel Silverstein uh, came up with that in a jam session. Johnny Cash just made it uh, uh, famous by singing it. Any of his books or albums of which, if uh, last count is five that I know of, I own them all. Like I said, I'm a little obsessed. Um, very, very funny uh, stuff. And also some of it very moving. Um, Ransom Riggs, uh, he has the Miss Peregrine's Home for a Peculiar Children series. Interesting way of using um, vintage photos to inspire a whole novel series. Henry Kuttner, um, you would pick up his book called The, La uh, the Last Mimsy, otherwise known as The Best of Henry Kuttner. Um, he has a really interesting way of looking at sci-fi that you've not seen before, as well as playing on social issues. Um, David Mitchell, who's uh, written both the novel and screenplay for Cloud Atlas, he really plays around with both the genre um, of the novel as well as the chronology um, and symbolism. So he's a really good one. And this one, High in Controversy, The Last Temptation of Christ. Um, uh, Nicholas Kansataki's, we're just going to go with that. Um, very Greek he, last name, very Greek. Yes. <laughs> um, not only did he play with the theological underpinnings of the Gospels, but he uh, pulled from the Gnostic traditions um, and really delved deep into that. So if that's more of your leaning, he's a good place to start. And one of my favorites, Edgar Allan Poe, I think a good example of that is the system of Dr. Carr and Professor Feather um, film version, the Stonehurst Asylum. Um, and I just like that as an example because it is literally a story about the inmates running the asylum. It is hilarious. <laughs> so funny. Uh, quick movie rundown, Harvey, 1950, starting Jimmy Stewart. And an invisible but not imaginary friend, a puka. Um, <laughs> look that up. It's a mythical creature, very mischievous and hilarious. Freaks will appreciate labyrinth starring jim henson muffets jennifer Connelly, Ooh, yeah. as the singing goblin king should uh, i mention in a very creepy way that when i was a child i had a crush on david bowie with his disturbingly tight tights in that movie and that yeah it's now looking back as an adult i was like oh my god that was scandalous but yeah totally had a crush so on him scandalous oh it's okay uh, um every time anybody like has anything remotely close to the lyrics my wife and I will just start singing them and people that haven't seen the movie have no idea what's going on so to be like oh babe and my wife and I would just go that's Miley obsessed we'll stop it there and really anything with Jim Henson's Muppets there's really a theme of embracing your unique individuality um and making it into something wonderful um something that might be more friendly for very young children you might start with the muppets movie um you know because really rainbow connection and all of that theme is about that um strictly ballroom 1992 i believe is baz Luhrmann's first film that is definitely the whole movie is all about taking your creative individuality and just conquering the world with it it's one of the few movies that have its own motto. A life lived in fear is a life half lived. It is such a life coach thing, if you say. <laughs> um, another one steeped in controversy, uh, but also a big play on genre, themes, 
um, uh, Angels in America, written by Tony Kirsch, Kirsch, uh, Kushner, play in 91, film in 2003. This is a marathon. The play is seven hours. The miniseries is six. I have seen them both. Um, it's beautiful. You will need a nap, possibly in between sections. <laughs> um, but if you want to look at somebody that has really, really, really stretched the genre, particularly of theater, he did it. Uh, some quick musicals, uh, quick musicians. They might be giants. Um, oh, and I have that. Are, have, were you ever obsessed with They Might Be Giants? Oh, yes. Triangle Man. Blue Canary and the Outlet by the Light Switch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> particle, yeah. Particle um, Man. Particle Man does the things that a particle can. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I am so going to make uh, my son obsessed with that, too. He's going to be tortured. Tortured. <laughs> yes. Um, David Bowie. Um, Oh my gosh, uh, the spiders from outer space. Um, mm -hmm. uh, definitely played with genre, gender, um, you know, uh, outcast, the rap <laughs> duo. Um, it may seem unusual, but not only when you listen to the music, do they weave in different genres, but even their friendship um, seemed to stretch the bounds of creativity and genre. And they met in art school, which a lot of people don't know. And they're very like stylistic in the costumes that they wear in a lot of the music videos. Like you can, you can see the artistry and the creativity. And I, I never did any research behind it, but for, you know, for both of them, I very much wondered if, um, I guess for the rap community, if they caught any flack because they were just completely doing their own thing that was not aligned um, with the community at the time. That of course is like definitely stood the test of time and both of them have branched out to doing like movie roles and things like that. That. but on a, another note for how I torture my son to this day after every bath and he's getting his his diaper changed and ready for bed ain't nobody don't pass me I'm just so fresh every time and I'm sure he's gonna like sing that when he's older he's gonna be like what and I was like are you old enough for outcast I think maybe when you're old enough you'll listen to him that with mom too yeah. when you potty train when you potty train we'd be like are you gonna tell him uh everybody think roses don't stay <laughs> i know you like to thank your don't stay lean a little bit closer roses um, really smell like poo 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 yes so, um so uh another surprise eartha kit has an album my favorite track is number three, I Want to Be Evil. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that album is hilarious. She actually has a beautiful singing voice. Um, she's got some romance, she's got some fun. She ends with Santa Baby because that is the one that everybody knows her mm. for. Um, but she sings in multiple languages on that album and her whole career was just a whole lot of leaning in. Um, to what she. Did. I mean, you know, she was... Um, a black seductress. Was uh, she at one of the cat women? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you that. Yes. Yeah, uh, when at a time on television when um, that was very, very daring. Um, but when I found her album, I was like, holy moly, are the kids sings? Gotta have it. Um, Kendrick Lamar, he in 2017, he released his hip hop album titled Damn, and it won a Pulitzer Prize for music. That was the mm -hmm. first time. A hip hop album had ever done that. 
Um, lots of social commentary in addition to the music. So that's one to check out. And my most recent obsession, Black Violin, which merges hip hop, European classical um, on the violin. Um, and, you know, it even has some Al Green in there. So you've got some soul, you've got like uh, R&B soul voco vocals. I literally bought their four disc discography after hearing them on NPR, a segment like of 30 seconds like once. They are amazing. Mm. So you talk about really leaning in to what makes you unique. One of the our, one of the guys who talks about this in the track, he's a six foot two barrel chested black guy who plays a violin. Um, literally people will look at him and they're like, you shouldn't play the violin. You shouldn't like classical music. And if you do, you know, well, then you should be a nerd and not like hip hop. Um, and yet they found a way to, to merge the two. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. So like it, it's, and it makes you want to dance. Like it's so, I love them. You should really check them out. Um, and really quick, um, I know nothing about fashion or visual art at all, but I can tell you most of them go to their grave, not being appreciated, especially the artists. But the three that I found that really stuck out to me were Betsy Johnson, Anna, I, probably pronouncing this wrong, S-U-I, and Vivian Westwood. I mean, just super quirky, original, not appreciated at first. People thought they were crazy, but the people that bought their clothes loved them. Their fans made them famous. Um, and art, Jean-Michel Basquiat, I actually loved his work. I don't understand it because I don't understand art. I just like the way it looks. <laughs> people, um, not his real name, pseudonym, uh, digital artist right now making tons of money with NFTs, non-fungible tokens. No, I'm not going to explain it. I only barely understand it. Um, something about cryptocurrency blockchain. Look it up, people. You can, <laughs> you can mark that out. Um, but And Jack Barantino, he's a Scottish artist who's basically hated because people like his work and the critics don't want to give him any cred for how good he is because the fans made him famous but I honestly think his work is really beautiful um and I don't know how to articulate what's good about his work because I don't understand art but I can tell you that people really like it um and I heard about him on CBS Sunday morning and I looked at it and I was like it's got a sense of humor about it and it's just it's something about it that's very kind of calm everyday soothing and funny he has a lot of things about people being blown away in the wind or having their get-togethers ruined by the wind. Um, and, and I don't know, it's just funny. Oh my gosh, podcasting in the pandemic. <laughs> I'll pause this for a second. Okay, so those are just some people that you can check out and investigate, maybe get your creative juices going. And... Um, Speaking of which, is there anybody that you think of, Misty, when you think about like uh, artists or movies that you just really think of like? Um, the a movie that kind of blew me away with its creativity and the psychology and the, I'm so bad at this, uh, Schenectady, or how do you say that? Why can I not say Schenectady? that word? Yes, New York. There's a movie and that New was York. one. 
I'll Can you hear and... my phone off the hook now? No, I can't hear it. Is it? Oh, I don't know if it's picking up in the recording, but I mean, if it rings again, everybody knows we're all at home zooming. Nobody's going to no, freak out. It's, it it's the off the hook sound. Oh, so. Okay. So if it's going to drive you nuts, you can just put it back on. If somebody calls again, we'll be like, you want to be on our podcast? Okay. You're about to be. Um, so yeah, I don't want it to drive you crazy if it's back there. So you're like, no, don't do This it. is podcasting in a pandemic, yeah. people. It's trauma all the time. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. I'm surprised you haven't heard my son like figuring out how to get down the hallway and like put his his face under there and be like, Mama, Mama, Mama up, Mama up. I'll be like, Mommy's busy. Mommy's busy. Give me five more minutes. But um, but yes, Connecticut. I cannot say that freaking word for the love. Okay, you say it one more time. Schenectady, New York. There we go. So there's a movie. It had um Philip Seymour Hoffman in it amazingly creative and weird as fuck like and that was the last movie that I saw that I was like oh you went there um another one that wasn't quite as startling but kind of good that had Jared Leto in it um Mr. Nobody um that one was um it takes like three different perspectives on time and choices and has time moving in different directions um one that more people might have watched recently that also blew my mind was Tenet um that was pretty popular in I loved Tenet. that oh, is on so my good. approved to buy list yeah so uh, so good yeah love 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 i love people that um because i i think people underestimate how much um science and creativity have to go together like we were just you know talking earlier in this podcast about like edison and it's like well yeah people get that it's like no they're like even the people out there making our vaccines for covid had to have a certain element of creativity like like so never think that there isn't artistry in being a scientist as well because i see that's where i gravitate toward i mean i love beautiful art i love beautiful clothing um but not to the degree that i like know the names of the art and all of that but science is where i geek out and people that do like science fiction frequently is a precursor to science fact because it's just people thinking creatively about the possibilities of innovation and technology and are just writing about it in fun books before it happens um so yeah and i have heard a number of interviews with people that are working in various science fields and they would be like well how did you come up with this idea and they'll be like i dreamt it Mm. so clearly um you know and they'll and they'll say well the inspiration came to me in a dream or they'll be out in a field somewhere in a, in a somewhat med- meditative state and they'll be like well this nobody had this idea before it came out of nowhere i was inspired by looking at this plant or mm-hmm. my kid said something um so there is an element of uh imagination and i can't recall the quote now but even um Einstein had a quote about the need for imagination and science that now I will have to look up because it will keep me up all night until uh, I find it. But Einstein had commented on the fact that um, you needed imagination and creativity to make uh, scientific leaps. So yeah, I'm, I, you know, I, I love, uh, love all of that stuff. 
but yeah, Tenet was really, really good. Mm. And I actually, when I put this list together, I was like, I had to shorten the list because I was like, I could fill the whole podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's something really amazing about the human condition, I think, is that when it really comes down to it, depending on your own preferences, you could just have 20 pages of somebody did this and it was creative and amazing. Somebody did this, somebody did this. We are, I think we underestimate how creative beings we are. And I think we get trapped too much in day-to-day life, especially if you're somebody that lives in like corporate America kind of type work, where it's almost like you're punished in some cases uh, for attempting to be creative. And it's like, well, no, not only should you not be punished, it should be encouraged. And we are, we're living more fully when we have ways that we can be creative. So that's my public service announcement for today. Yeah. And thematically, <laughs> one thing I have noticed is that um, you know, uh, a lot, a lot of thematically, a lot of work thematically is about people who are, um, struggling to embrace their whole selves, um, as it stands in a non-conforming way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and even uh, almost everything on the list, you know, what makes them stand out is not the part of them that is the same but the part of them that is different um, and figuring out a way to embrace that and use it to their advantage. Um, So I I almost had to make that, eliminate that because if I use that as a theme, like almost everything would qualify because so much of our literature um, is focused on that in in some vein. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that's another element of the human condition that more people are struggling with. Um, then we realize that we have more in common with other people than we realize that everybody in some way might be struggling with this. Something about me is different. Mm-hmm. And how do I embrace that and share that with the world um, without feeling, you know, a sense of rejection or finding a tribe that's going to that's gonna not just embrace it, but celebrate it. So, um you know, that was one thing thematically as I researched this list. I was like, boy, there's a lot of, there's a lot of us freaks out there just desperate for a try. Yeah. Um, so before we run out of time and before we go, I thought I would just, you know, throw out some ideas um, just to help you maybe break out of a creative rut if you happen to be in one. Um and uh, it's interesting that we're starting here uh, when we talk about the combination of art and science, because that's actually my first suggestion. Take <laughs> like your two or three most disparate interests. And the one the example that I actually put in my notes is try art and science um, and combine them and see what you come up with. Um, you know, if you're into, I don't know, plants and... I don't know, plants and weather or, you know, food and weather, see what happens. Um, But put them together. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's like I saw a lady that she was really into um, maps and geometry and she figured out a way to combine that to make jewelry. So you never know what you're going to come up with. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Um, But, you know, uh, you know, try that. Um, you can also team up with somebody who is the completely opposite aesthetic of you artistically. So um, I tend to like things that are neat, clean, leaning towards geometry um, 
and I like sacred geometry, you know, the Fibonacci spiral and, and the golden proportion and all that stuff. So I would team up with somebody who really likes art that's fussy and feckin' and busy and see what happens. Um, you know, so team up with somebody who's artistic aesthetic um, or if you're into music, into music whose genre is completely different or whose sound is different and see what comes up, what comes out um, and see how that works. You might try this, not frequently because, you know, as science nerds, we are all about getting proper rest, but maybe um, right before you go to bed, try to brainstorm or create when you're just a little tired. There is actual science behind this. I didn't just make this up, but there is something about when your executive functioning is starting to turn off just a bit and your subconscious is starting um, to get a little more freedom that you can get some ideas, some really great ideas when you brainstorm when you're just a little bit tired. Um, so you can try that sometimes. I'm not saying pull an all-nighter. I'm not saying that you should be the most exhausted, just a little tired on occasion. Um, you know, uh, but as always, make sure you're fully rested, people. It's good for you. <laughs> um, the other thing you might do uh, is, you know, change where you're working. So um, I work in my office a lot, but I also like to go sit out on the back porch, maybe go to the park. If for some reason you can't change where you are, change something about your environment. I mean, you might just move the furniture around, change the artwork. Um, make the visual or physical space look or feel differently, you would be surprised how that can spark some creativity. Um, instead of combining two things, maybe look at the parts that you normally put together and separate them. Think about like breaking them down into their most basic elements. Um, so there's always been this thing about using your non-dominant hand. And I'm going to say use your non-dominant hand or another body part and then take what you've made and then make something with that. So take it a step further. Um, uh, try to imagine something that utterly defies physics. Imagine it and then try to create it. Wasn't that um, yeah. a Alice in Wonderland quote? Maybe, I don't know if it was from the books or maybe just from the Johnny Depp movies. Like I tried to um, like believe at least, you know, three impossible things a day or whatever. It's, uh, yeah, I think again. it's something like that. Like I try yeah. to do three impossible things every day or something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I so, say, you know, um, and I, you know, occasionally I think it's, it's probably like on Pinterest or something. You'll see like a physics fine table that probably started out as something in somebody's brain, they imagined something that was absolutely impossible um, and defied physics. And it's like, well, now I'm gonna build it. Um, eliminate a sense you usually rely on to create. So um, don't eliminate a sense at random. If you sculpt, then you wear gloves. If you paint, try wearing a blindfold. Um, if you play the guitar, um wearing a blindfold probably doesn't matter all that much <laughs> so eliminated since it's actually related related to the process of creating um set yourself a ridiculously unreasonable time limit like half the time you would normally allow to complete so you're pushing yourself um painters i know this because my wife likes to paint stuff and create stuff have a ridiculous amount of, of, of brushes and tools so instead of having 10 brushes to create something, 
cut yourself down to one. Um, so use fewer materials. Um, maybe restrict yourself to only what you have on hand at the moment. Um, anybody that crafts knows you can get just so much trouble when you head to the craft store instead of allowing yourself to go to the craft store. Um, you have to know, don't allow yourself to go backwards and correct uh, your mistakes in air quotes, but instead say, I can only go forward. If I make a mistake, I can't correct it. I got to keep going without stopping. Um, I'm going to call this, the next one I'm going to call is play opposite day. Mm -hmm. um, find something you love and do the opposite. So um, I, you know, like nice and clean, I would intentionally make something that's ridiculously busy. Um, you love doing things. Um, I wrote this all wrong, but anyway, uh, I wrote my notes all wrong. But anyway, let's say you love using circles, then you're only allowed to use squares. If you only love using squares, you can only use triangles. Um, you can only use circles. So, you know, try doing the opposite. Um, and then the other thing, and this is the big one that I think, uh, you know, is really going to help you. Try doing something you're terrified of doing or you're terrible at okay it's you might never get better and that's okay that's probably not bad actually um but you'll probably get expired believe it or not you can literally fuck up to fun or genius breakthroughs all at the mm -hmm. same time so yeah absolutely do something that you're either terrified to do or you're just terrible at if you can convince yourself to do it with somebody else and just break up laughing wine optional um <laughs> wine or beer is optional that's even better um and the other thing is that with all of these the idea is not that the thing that brings you inspiration or breaks you out of the rut is going to give you is going to help you create the genius it might it might not but the idea is that doing something different can give you a different perspective a different idea that you can then apply to whatever it is you really love doing every day that you love doing different, uh, that you love to do a different perspective. So maybe doing the opposite of what you normally do doesn't help you. You might absolutely hate what you come up with, but the process of creating, not the result, might help you actually land somewhere that you really want to be. So that's really the idea I want you to take away from these uh, ideas. You might hear them all and think they're nuts. Try one anyway. Just <laughs> see what happens. And if not, come up with your own. Um, and like I said, wine optional. You know. <laughs> all right. As always, paint responsibly. As always, paint responsibly. Paint responsibly. But hasn't that become <laughs> a whole industry about painting creatively with wine? Like the paint yes. the pottery place. <laughs> like it is so recognized that a lot of people need a little social lubricant to let the I, I did one of those and I absolutely refused to paint the thing that they painted because I didn't like it. So yeah. <laughs> you can do that. You can show up and just drink and paint whatever. I found yeah. that out really easily. Yeah. Like, what are they going to do? Kick you out because you didn't paint the tree that they gave you as your assignment? Right? I found that if you paid the ticket price, they don't really care what you do as yeah. long as you don't cause too much of a ruckus. Yeah. You can be a, you can be a rebel. They got their pay. They good. But but yeah. if, if you're hearing all this, if you're hearing um, some of these ideas about loosening up your creative muscles and you're starting to feel a little bit inspired, um, but maybe don't know the path or 
if you have a lot of limiting beliefs that are holding you back, you know, limiting beliefs, like people are going to think I'm a joke. People will make fun of me. Nobody will like what I do. I'm sorry. Those are all limiting beliefs and they really are. I'm sure you have 50 million stories about artists and novelists whose work was rejected 8 million times before they were recognized for being amazing, creative people. So that, those kind of things, nobody's going to like it. I'm never going to be able to do anything with it. I don't have that freedom. I'm never going to have time. Those are all limiting beliefs. Um, and if the list that Siki gave doesn't work for you, this, uh, you know, that's okay. Go to see a life coach and figure out for yourself other ways to make your creativity manifest. And this is where I get a little bit irritated. I'm going to get on soapbox just for a second. I get a little bit irritated by this idea that life coaching is almost um, like a um, concierge, concierge service or like just something for like the rich and powerful. Um, like, you know, who goes to see Tony Robbins, these people, they can afford $4,000 to go to his seminars or conferences or whatnot. And I would very much like for life coaching to be seen as a more widely publicly accessible service, because like, if we are being technical, I think a lot of the rich and famous probably have been using life coaching for a lot longer than other people. And that's part of the reason they have made maintain being rich and famous is because they find ways that again, next episode, we're going to talk about applying to your work and business. They have found ways to stay cutting edge, to invent new things because they've got some coaching around doing that and not being hindered by limiting beliefs. But if I had, if I had a mission as a life coach in this world, I, I wouldn't want anyone to be held back from being able to realize their vision and be creative because um, the world just needs it. The world's a better place for it. And it's not just you get the luxury of being creative um, when you're already rich and powerful and kind of, you know, higher up the food chain kind of thing. So that's something that needs to be accessible for everyone. And if, if you are pondering how life coaching could be useful for you, you can get in contact with either me or Sookie and get signed up for a session. Um, my contact information, you go to my website, mistymarlow.com or email me at email at mistymarlow.com. It's just that simple. And Suki, how they get in contact with you? Um, they can get in contact with me at wildessentia, W-Y-L-D-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A.com or introductions at wildessentia.com. Or you can call me at my new phone number, which I have not memorized yet. if I don't answer feel free to leave a message and my quick turn on the soapbox is just to say um, one limiting belief I also want you to keep in mind is that you won't find a tribe you will a life coach can help you with that too Um, as our instructor always says there's a tribe for everyone Mm -hmm. so I want you to keep that in mind Um, and we uh, can probably put a pin in that idea and make a note to to throw that into into the mix um, a little bit for our next episode too Um, but there's a tribe for you out there so don't let the belief that uh, there's no place for you to be if you embrace your freaky superpower Um, keep keep you from you know from embracing who you are all right and on that note take us out sookie like my grandmother always used to say if you can't be good be good at it